Welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Alia. This is Nadia. And we have a guest. Can you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Amina Sharif Ali, joining you from Oakland, California. Nadia's been in that area quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Um, yeah, I lived in the South Bay for a few years, um, but my um, my sister is going to UC Berkeley and my aunt lives in Oakland, so... Um, Basically, ju- that just means, like, I know the Middle Eastern food places around there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. That's some good knowledge to have. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, obviously I reached out to y'all because I'm a songwriter, performer, and I have this record coming out in March. And I also, you know, I do this and that, you know, I... Uh, I work as a therapist and I also talk a lot of shit on the internet and I take a lot of selfies and I parent a wonderful human child and all that stuff. Yeah, we should talk about all of that, but I guess um, just kind of one thing that's coming to mind first off is, do you feel like there's a connection between being a therapist and being a songwriter? Ooh, that's a good question. How do I? I like, that? I was just sticking in there. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, because it's funny, because when I first, I was, I was definitely like a songwriter first, and I had like, you know, back like six years ago, like pretty much like right after my kid was born, and I was considering going back to school for therapy. I had like a whole identity crisis about like, like no, I'm like a broke punk musician. I don't like, I don't want to give up my dream. Blah blah blah. And like, and some people. We're like, yeah, but you could combine them. And I'm like, nah. Yeah. (laughs) I like, because I very, I very emphatically feel like my music is like, it's for me. You know, I mean, like, I like, I appreciate that it can benefit other people, but it's also like, I'm fully in it, not trying to like, not trying to consciously, directly, deliberately give something to someone else. I'm trying to express something that I need to express with the knowledge that it may help someone else. Yeah. Or may reach or touch someone else. I uh, was a psych major in college and was also thinking about going clinical route and haven't totally ruled that out in the future. Um, but I'm also a dancer and people would the same thing ask me like, do you want to combine those? And I'd be like, no, I just kind of like them uh, for their own uh, sakes. I didn't think I didn't want to combine them professionally, at least. But lately, I've just been yeah. um, thinking about how like just I don't know that perspective of like understanding people's internal worlds affects art making even if you're not doing it in this very deliberate like art therapy route Mm -hmm. yeah totally something that has been happening over the course of like so I I went back to school for therapy in 2015 and I actually just like three weeks ago took the licensing exam and passed so I'm like I'm just like waiting on my number but like I'm gonna be about to be licensed and like Oh, so over the last, like, I guess I've been practicing for, like, four and a half years-ish. And, like, I've definitely learned more and more and given myself more permission to bring my whole self, my whole, like, my whole queer punk anti-capitalist, like, weird self to therapy. And, like, but still trying to be, like, okay, I'm I'm bringing my whole self, but I'm also, like, still thinking, trying to, like, think really clearly. Like, I'm not... I'm not here for me, you know, I'm here for this person. And I have to like always be thinking like what's going to be therapeutic or useful in this context. 
all of which is to say, you know, aspects of like what I do with music making about thinking about the human heart and the world and all that, like um, there is overlap, but the, but the focus of like, for me versus for for someone else is is very different i guess that makes so. a lot of sense yeah cool do you want to um talk about like your connection to the swana region your background yeah. yeah 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 so my you know i'm mixed and um my mom is from the philippines and my dad was um from Egypt like born and raised but he was mixed Egyptian and Turkish um and then I say was because he passed when I was pretty young when I was 11 years old that has just really shaped my life in so many ways the fact that of like of losing him at that age but like but in particular in terms of like trying to understand racial identity and trying to constitute like myself uh in like this historic like sense and like placing myself among people it like yeah there's there's just a pretty big cutoff actually on both sides through through the loss of of that like person and like and we actually have like no living relatives on that side oh and, wow. okay um, and like and through like you know a lot of like assimilation pressure on my mom's side and like gotcha. yeah. you know more a lot more living relatives there but like but still a challenge to like to make that connection right yeah. and then like did you did your mom kind of like keep filipino culture pretty prevalent in the household the short answer is no no uh, yeah okay. no i mean like i i think you know when i like think about like my childhood i feel like there are ways in which i like certain like images and like you know like things from like food to like the kind of art that we had in the home and like like there were just like a lot there were a lot more vestiges of just being not white not american um yeah. like early on in life mm -hmm. and um and i think those those went away slowly as i grew up certainly right. uh, like especially after my after my dad passed after our like like you know grandmas on like both sides stopped like stopped like coming um mm -hmm. and you know, both mm -hmm. of them passed and then like and as my you know after my mom married my stepdad who's a like wonderful white man <laughs> right and, like yeah you know and so like yeah no that that hasn't there hasn't really been an inheritance on that side either and I mean like one of the big moments of realization for me in like my like early 30s like some 10 years after I started trying to like look around for a connection to like these identities and heritages was like oh I'm I'm not gonna like find this by looking for it in what already exists in my experience in life now because it doesn't exist because it was taken from me yeah and mm -hmm. and so I, I actually have to make it myself I actually have to like forge it through I mean I, have, I can seek knowledge I can form relationships I can reach out to groups i can listen to the queer arabs podcast but like i you know but it's not it's not going to be handed to me because it, it doesn't already exist in my life right yeah. yeah yeah i relate i definitely relate to that in that um i grew up with my mom who's a uh, white american and then like when i got in touch with my the arab side my dad's side like it it, it mostly became like a pick and choose of like when when i engaged with that part of myself and um it generally hasn't been handed 
to me. It's been more me having to seek that out. And then like at one point, my mom married a man from Mexico. And so there was a period of time where I felt definitely more connected to Mexican culture and like Mm -hmm. everything tied to Mexico than I ever did you know to the arab stuff until you know and then and then that connection with the arab side happened but still even even with that connection it's definitely been on me to find find what aspects um i regularly connect with and like seek out and so i in my own way i get what you mean yeah so yeah, uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about um, you being a parent and uh, wanting to raise a kid with a sense of um, mm-hmm. racial or ethnic identity, among other things. Um, how has that uh, process of you kind of trying to, um, I don't want to say backtrack, but just trace your own re- roots, trace your own sense of identity in that sense, um, mm-hmm. translate to wanting to pass it on to your kid? I think, honestly, like having... Um, having my child, Hazel's the name, that like uh, Hazel Latif. It was that, like, was like kind of like a little fire under my ass about like figuring this shit out. Cause I was just like, I mean, I've, I, this has been tempered a little, but like, you know, I, I definitely had a sense, especially like as like, as certain questions would like start to come up, or even, even if they were, it was before Hazel was asking them, it was like I was starting to ask them and wonder what I would say and be like, I have to have a better answer than I do now. I have to have something better than like, yep, I just don't know because nobody taught me. So yeah. I can't tell you because I don't know, you know, like, right. yeah, yeah. I like, and you know, and I've all like, I mean, something helpful that I've realized and helped figure out like in community and conversation with peers is like, I don't have to have all the answers because even if I come up with a really good answer for me, it's not going to be the same answer that they need they're gonna have to create that on their own too but i have to i have to have something i have to have some degree of readiness i need to already be working on it somewhat that makes sense because like you know you know what the disconnect feels like and you want to like not have it as be as prominent Mm -hmm. yeah you want to bridge the gap but sometimes like you don't have to be the only person bridging the gap there's other ways that they can that you can reach out and they can reach out and fill in those yeah things we don't know about i mean even as someone who was like uh raised by like both my parents are from lebanon i was raised by both of them and had um i mean there's some like details of assimilation that i think are in any diaspora context but like just more i don't know like this the straightforward um diaspora cultural upbringing like Mm -hmm. there's still so much that I feel that I've learned on my own terms that wasn't handed to me in the particular slice of culture um, or version of the culture that uh, my parents decided to raise me in. Um, yeah, because they probably like didn't. Because they don't. I mean, it, I think there's like a lot of. I don't know. I've heard some people say like uh, Arab America is kind of a time capsule. Like people mm-hmm. are oftentimes trying to recreate. If, if they are have the sense of they want to, like, pass on their culture and keep it um, as part of their child's upbringing, they're, like, passing on the version of the country they left. It's not necessarily the country right. that exists right now. Yeah. Um, and I think that's been right. really relevant to finding, like, all this, like, queer yeah. organizing that's going on in the region, which I'm sure <laughs> my parents had no clue about. Um, and mm-hmm. also uh-huh. d- literally was not 
at least in this form, didn't exist when they were there. Um, but I think uh, connecting to like queer organizing and also just like uh, indie music is also a big one. Like I'm, I've been very into like the Swan indie music scene um, mm. and just like all these elements of like living culture that I relate to that wasn't necessarily the one that was just like directly dripped down <laughs> through the family tree. What that makes me think of is, you know, I mean, obviously, I can I can definitely go into a place of like feeling really, like hurt and deprived and, you know, and disappointed by like you know, mm-hmm. um, parents and like people, you know, and you know, and I can spend time on that, but like when in when I'm in a place of like my most like grace about it, um, which I think both places are like valid. I'm like I'm like yeah, I can appreciate the like. Just how embattled you were, you know, like coming into this fucking country and like trying to like, you know, and yeah. and just like the couple of different strategies that were at your disposal. It's like, can I, are we going to like fully try to like assimilate you and like actually try to cut you off and make a clean break? Or are we going to try to create like an em- kind of embattled little like, like mm-hmm. capsule of like, this is, this is our, these are our people and like, you know, let's like really close ranks and just like you know yeah, and yeah. what we have to give you is like gonna have to be enough you know right yeah, yeah i think yeah. everyone's just trying to like make the best choice they know how to make and it's not mm-hmm. always the right one but like can you blame them yeah <laughs> like yeah. there's no manual on this right yeah and what's the balance and then like um ellie ellie who's ever most people listening know she's another co-host she's also lebanese so um both her she was also raised by both her parents and like they for her protection they felt like they shouldn't teach her Arabic especially when 9/11 happened and like when I hear stuff like that it's hard for me to feel like they made the wrong decision yeah they were doing what they felt right. was best even though yeah. in retrospect maybe like Ellie might have wanted something yeah different, and but. Ellie's right. now really disappointed she didn't have this language because yeah. like her parents were speaking it at home her parents would speak to each other, uh-huh. not around Ellie on purpose, but she had it right there. Yeah. Right, and, totally. Yeah, and that I, must be frustrating. Like, I mean, I feel yeah. that too, to like a little bit of a lesser extent, because I, I do speak some Arabic, but like my sister who's two years older speaks it far better than me. And mm-hmm. like right between, I don't know, whatever, whatever um, like uh, language learning window that's pretty crucial is when my parents started getting um, like the messaging of like, no, it's, if yeah. kids don't speak English in the home, they'll be behind. Don't, you know, that kind of stuff. And they kind of um, toned yeah. it down with me. I wonder if, like, other people were saying that to them. Oh, for were sure. They? No, they were, yeah, yeah it, it was North Carolina. They were aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and I just, I just actually just, in the fall, took an Arabic class for the first time. Oh, how'd that go? And cool. It was really hard, but it was really, it was really rich and good and also like hard and like fraught. Mm -hmm. And I ultimately, you know, I I ultimately didn't finish out the semester because I, I was keeping up pretty well until like it just, uh, things just piled up and I um, had like my partner had surgery in December and I was also studying for the clinical exam. And so like, I basically... I didn't have time to do oh, more than hard, like yeah. I, than like phone it in, and I didn't want to phone it in. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and just like you know, I think how I 
was trying to come to it because I've never succeeded in acquiring um, a language other than the one I speak. Mm-hmm. And but I was really just trying to be like, you know, I I don't know where this can like go, but like I I just want to have an experience. I want to feel it yeah. in my mouth, you know, and I want to feel my hand like writing the script, and I want to like, you know, yeah. I just want to have an an embodied feeling. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, yeah, I get that. We're we're both using mango languages. If you ever feel like you need a self something yeah. self paced mango languages. I feel like good. we've yeah. talked about mango I, languages enough on this podcast that they should sponsor us. They should sponsor us. us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have a friend who is a, who is a big like like mango languages enthusiast. Oh, um, cool. Specifically, okay. like shitting on Duolingo, which is fine. Um, <laughs> it's objectively but. better. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, because Duolingo will like a give you sentences like the lion is inside my computer. Um, <laughs> yeah, B because like Mango has like dialects. Um, and yeah. no, like I don't know. I don't really want to learn how to speak formal Arabic. I I think all the dialects are equally valid, but I don't want to sound like a textbook. Um, mm-hmm. and then right. oh, but but like Duolingo is way more queer friendly. They'll like yeah. have all these like. Um, sentences with, about like people with all kinds of like partnerships Carrie, yeah, it's and like Carrie and her wife yeah. went to the store and you're and like, like yeah and Carrie like anyone and her can wife. wear any garment of yeah. clothing and then um yeah. mango languages is like super like gender normative <laughs> and really heteronormative is. and they'll be mm. like what was the thing they'll like, give like cultural notes they'll, they'll give be like women tips. like to go to the hair salon and do this and this and this Men like to bob. <laughs> there was one that was like, yeah. only men eat their food with bread. And I'm like, the one that's objectively false. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> I've the seen that fuck? actually. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, when I transitioned, I was just like, well. Can't, can't do this now. <laughs> we had a good run. Yeah, Brad, you were great while you lasted. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Can't do this anymore. Yeah, mango language. Mango languages told me that Brad, Brad and I can't get along. Um, you know, so- that's the real de- definition of gender. Like, it's not about like appearance or identity or any of that stuff. It's just about like, bread. do you eat with bread? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, let's talk about music. Um, how yes. did you kind of? first get into making music and then how has your uh music making kind of evolved over the years uh okay well i was an emo kid as a teen and um yeah just big big feelings and so i had like a band then and then i went to oberlin for undergrad and i um studied music there and after i was done with that i um, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri originally. And then like pretty much like right after that, or like six months after I graduated from college, I moved to LA mm-hmm. to start a band with my friend Sebastian. And then that like didn't really work out. Yeah. And then like, I like, you know, went in my like first rodeo with like nonprofits and like thinking that that could be cool. And obviously it wasn't, um, but it took me up to the Bay area mm-hmm. and then and I'm glad I, you know, I'm glad it got me here because, you know, I love yeah. it here, and I've mm-hmm. I've been here since I was seven, cool. and definitely like, you know, I'm rooted here and invested here. And I, after my first rodeo with nonprofits, I was like, oh, actually, like I really, I really want to be back making music. Music is my heart, and I like, and then that, 
I like went in hard for like five, six years on like, okay, we're a serious musician. We're really trying to, you know, mm-hmm. like, like make a follow, like get a following, like trying to make it, blah, blah, blah. And then I feel I'm really glad, like somewhere in there, I also like started to like get some more like politics and like, you know, and yeah, like anti-capitalist politics. And I'm like, I'm glad of that for so many reasons, but like not least of all, like realizing it's like, oh, like, you know, I might not like, in fact, I will not like be able to like make it as a musician. And that's not, it's not my fault. It's not that I'm not good enough or I can't hustle hard enough. It's that like economically, like very, very few people get to do this. And like, you know, and, um, and I just like, so, so I feel like, and that, that predicated me like wanting to go back to school for therapy, which, is like work that I'm really invested in that's really meaningful to me that I enjoy and feel like I'm good at and also like I am able to do in a in a balance with still making music and still feeling like that job isn't my life it's like an important part of my life but it's not my whole life and like music is also still a huge part of my life as well it's so important it's weird how one thing that capitalism does to us is make us think that our lives are our jobs like, we were mm-hmm. talking recently mm-hmm. about how when we ask kids, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it means, like, what job you want to have. Like, those are mm-hmm. the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it kind of puts, I don't know, like, it, it gives us this idea that, like, only if you're making a living through your art or making, like, a complete living, whatever that means, through your art, yeah. that means it's it's valid. Otherwise, it's just, like, this right. hobby and it's not important. Um, yeah. But, like no like some the thing that makes you money that you live with doesn't necessarily have to be the only or the most important thing in your life right well and what's telling as hell is that like uh kids like don't fucking understand what you mean when you say that yeah they're like i want to be a kangaroo yeah yeah yeah. i i i knew this musician who had like this um this song that was like based around like this one kid's like apparently non who like answered that question with like when i grow up i want to be a fire truck yeah <laughs> cool good yeah he's like yeah i love that <laughs> like, why, why not why limited to things that we think of as alive you know why not exactly <laughs> <laughs> sentient beings like that's so limited yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. It's like asking what someone wants to be when they grow up. It's just like at such a young age, age planting that seed of like, what do you want to make money doing? And that's and that's what, what you are equates. Like, yeah. You are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wish that. Yeah, there needs to be like a rephrasing of the question. I don't know what exactly. I think what if we like tried asking kids not just about like their future jobs, but just I mean I get like, like trying to do. tell kids to yeah. think about the oh, future yeah. even if they're not correct about it, but like just ask like a variety of things like yeah what what kinds of jobs would you want to have? Where would you want to live? How would you spend your weekends? Who would you be living with? Just like questions yeah. like about a variety of. I like that. I mean, and I'm sure they'll be like, I want to live in a tree. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> I want to live in a tree with four kangaroos, and that's cool, but, like... Also, yeah, yeah. valid. Some people do live in trees. Some people make that happen. Yeah. Like, 
Have you seen mm-hmm. some of those cool tree houses that like people actually live in? Anyway, so <laughs> you're solidly drifted. Solidly uh, okay. drifted. So we're talking about music. Yeah. Um, I guess back to your music. Uh, how would you uh, would you define yourself as like uh, folk rock, punk rock, kind of in the in that zone, kind of yeah. genre wise? You know, like <laughs> this is something that I you, I just have to laugh at myself and all of us. I think I'm reluctantly adopting the folk punk label. Mm-hmm. And I like, I, I say reluctant because I feel like there is an actual genre mm-hmm. of folk yeah. punk. Hey, it's Ellie. It's Ellie. Hi, y'all. Uh, I A mean, I don't know why appearance. I said y'all. Well, y'all. We're talking to like the podcast public. Yeah, actually, that's what it was. Ellie. <laughs> okay, <laughs> everyone listening, Ellie just joined us. <laughs> Hi, Ellie. <laughs> Bing. What's, What's up? up? Thanks for coming. Um, meet Amina. We're talking about music. Um, Amina, this is Ellie. Specifically folk Hi, punk. Ellie. Yes, nice specifically folk punk and okay. music, lab- like labeling one's music. Yeah, you know, but no, I I play music rooted in a lot of styles. Folk is probably the one that I come back to the most consistently. And I, I am punk. Um, I am a punk and I like, I used, it's so funny. I used to like, like wonder, I'm like, wow, I wonder if I will ever feel like punk enough or queer enough or, yeah, yeah, or like POC enough. And I actually like feel like it's sometime in the last couple of years, I don't know exactly when, but I was just like, oh, I, I feel like I actually feel like enough in most of these ways, most of the time. I think there's been a process of like taking ownership of all of them. But yeah, as it pertains to music, you know, I think of like, I, but I think this, this analogy extends to like the other things too, is that like, you know, when you're thinking about like, would I count as punk? Would, you know, if I say I'm punk, are some other people going to be like, no, you're a fucking poser. And <laughs> I, and I'm just like, you know, I don't know. Like when, like when you like read like histories of like, punk music would you know like i love like the history of it i love like all the like characters and like and also like you know there are a lot of fucking weirdos and not in a positive way like a lot of like a lot of like dicey characters yeah. you know mm-hmm. people who were like weirdly right-wing or just like you know just stumbled in just like just like a lot of no account fuck boys and like and like and like you know so there's always been like a fight for the soul of punk in terms of like is this you know like is this actually like you know radical and like and like you know subversive in like not just in like a jokey way but in a way that's actually has some like guts in terms of like pushing back on like power structures you know and and i'm just like yeah you know at some point i realized like you know just like those of us who like stand for that just need to claim it and be like this is ours actually mm-hmm. and yeah you know nazis fuck off and like you know irony bros fuck off and irony like, bros <laughs> whatever you know yeah and oh irony bros i've never heard it put that way but yeah, that's just no, so we know the bro we know the bro <laughs> like i can't you know, i yeah. can't mean anything i can't yeah. mean what i say ever that's yeah. not cool yeah. yeah we're very anti-bro around here <laughs> yeah. yeah there's a few bros we like 
have we identified any bros we like? Um, I don't know. I don't know. We were just ranting about like Tetris bros. Like there are bros <laughs> who are just like obsessed with. You Tetris. you were like, saying you have a tendency to be a gear bro sometimes, and I, I okay. I'm kind of being a gear bro these days about like music stuff, and I'm like I'm going down the mm. rabbit hole with that. Um, yeah, what's your? Tell me about it. I've never um, been a gear. But, okay, uh, I'm just yeah. starting to possibly be a bit of a gear bro. Yeah. Because I am... Okay, so I'm a violinist, classically trained my whole life, and then only now I'm trying... I'm, like, looking at, like, music production stuff, and I got a loop pedal. It's on its way. Yeah. And I was like, well, with a loop pedal, I need an amp, obviously. And obviously with that, I need a pickup, and I need the cables, and I need the Ableton and all this stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I need to, like, I, I, I'm going to stop there, I think. But, I mean, that shit gets expensive, and I also need to, oh. like, learn how to use all this shit. Mm-hmm. But I'm solidly entering the gear territory in a way yeah. I've never done. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I feel yeah. excited for you. I, I feel like I've... I don't know if I've ever heard you... If I knew that you were a musician. That's so exciting. And I, like... Yeah. I have to say, you know, I mean, I like this album that is coming out. Like, it's like the first time I've like recorded myself in like 16 years. Oh, and, like, awesome. Wow. Like, I've always like kind of like outsourced that, been like, I don't know how to do that. Let's leave that to the experts. And then, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's pandemic, baby. So, you know, I got myself one of these, you know, a little like Scarlet, you yes. know, new input, like, you know, interface. And, like, and then, you know, with that and like a bunch of like, borrowed gear or like you know the like actual cheapest i don't even see where it is but like the actual cheapest like midi controller keyboard yeah. you can get like a 50 dollar little piece of shit yeah I got like, that let's make a too. fucking album yeah. <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah oh so we're just yeah. both entering gear territory lightly it sounds like lightly yeah yes. yeah yeah i feel like that's i feel like this pandemic has really pushed a lot of people to say you're out of excuses go and do the creative thing you've wanted to do forever well that and also like a lot of people are figuring out how to do stuff at home because they mm-hmm. yeah that's the only option yeah so. i mean it's fun i mean i always yeah. like i've always had so many like rolling projects like ongoingly like a like a, a, a tarot deck or a graphic novel or a what a what a you know just like yeah like so many like big dreams that like you know that i'm always roving on but like yeah this you know this wasn't the album i expected to make this year i thought i was gonna make like a big like full band record and i would mm-hmm. like like literally like right before the lockdown last march started here in california like like one of the last things I did was I rehearsed my band for the first time. I'm like, we're getting ready to make a record. Damn. And then a week later it was like, psych, you know, <laughs> like, Gosh. yeah. But, but then I like pivoted and made this record instead. And, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not sad about it. So many people around February and March last year, it seems like so many people were just starting things or like getting back into something really major. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not that this was the end of making an album for you, but it was the end of making that that, that particular, particular album. Yeah, but you found yeah. something different, um, something else. Yeah. So tell us about the album that you um, that you did make. Uh, if you want to yeah. talk about a few yeah. songs on there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's um, it's called In the Dark Awake, of course, and it 
it's actually you know i haven't like talked about it this way most but it's actually it is going to be it's actually what's coming out is the first i conceive of it as the first half of a double album and the the second half is going to be that band album that will get made whenever the pandemic is over and i don't even know how how much life will pass between them but so this is like volume one um and it's 13 songs and it's like it's like stuff that i could record at home by myself and so it's like it's mostly like songwritery guitar based songs but then like also some like some kind of like oddball experiments like i have like the last song on the album is like this very like pop song with like a whole like programmed like beat like tracks and synthesizers and you know so Ooh, cool. um yeah fun so um and then i also like got like a lot of friends to record remotely um mostly vocals but also like violin and piano nice. and and awesome. and that was like so sweet with like you know when you can't be with people physically to like mm-hmm. somebody to send you like a vocal part they recorded and you line it up and you're like wow we're singing it's together there. yeah oh my god it feels so good i know yeah. it feels so nice yeah 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 like Nat King Cole and Natalie Cole singing Unforgettable. I'm like, wow, you're right there. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, around like March last year, I was like, this was before Nadia and I started living together and I was just by myself. And that was one of the worst moments was when like I was playing violin. I was like, there's no, there's no option to play with anyone. And that just felt, that was just like the saddest moment. <laughs> but then we figured out how to make that happen. Yeah, people are finding ways. Okay, uh, um, I'm curious, like, how has, like, your identity or people's perception of your identity, uh, whether it's uh, being a trans woman or being um, a mixed race person, uh, like, influenced how you've navigated uh, your part of the music scene? Yeah, so I was, like, I was thinking about this as like kind of as we were I was I was was, like getting ready to go into this interview and Mm -hmm. I've thought about this also with like like basically like um basically the more I have like defined and leaned into and claimed certain like like non-normative identities in terms Mm of being a mixed race brown person in terms of being in terms of being queer in terms of being trans like the more i've actually like i feel like my um ability to like offer music and connect with the people with people who i want to connect with has actually like really like benefited and i think like yeah for instance like since i came out as trans which you know i came out in 2017 um like I like have been invited to play on shows that are specifically like trans showcase, trans takeovers. And like, it's like, you know, like a pretty, like, it's like an awesome house full of like, you know, trans folks and punks and weirdos. And I'm like, and they're all like paying like really good attention. I'm like, Oh my God, this is so fucking awesome. I like, I straight up, like I spent, you know, six years prior to this, like in like the mainstream folk scene, like with like, you know, people like drinking and chattering over and like, not, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. And just like why and like and that having that kind of like kind of nonchalance or like not caring about what you know it's like i don't i don't feel entitled to people's attention but also you know it's like 
you know, it's hard to like offer up something real and vulnerable and like have people just kind of like be like, yeah, what the fuck ever, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think I was like kind of tripping on that. I'm like to step into like a more like marginal identity and and then be be met with that kind of reception like feels really awesome for one. And also like I feel like there's some conservative logic that had, had wormed its way into my brain about like, mm. I don't know, something along the lines of like what people say about like affirmative action and shit, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, okay. Like, oh, like you're lucky that you have this and this actually like helps you. It gives you some kind of advantage or it's like a cool, you know, yeah. like exotic thing. And I, you know, and so I don't know, I just like already, I could tell that that was like a poisonous thought, but it was still like kind of in there and I was kind of grappling with it. And then I think the gotcha. way that I've like been reframing it for myself is just like no you know like i mean i was always like i was always real i was always genuine but like i mm-hmm. like you know the more clear that i've gotten internally about about like who i am and like offer that up the more like yeah people who have been like hungry for like stories that they can see themselves in are like responding to that mm-hmm. and like and then like in these like spaces in like queer music spaces or in like there's like creating of like space and of story and narrative that like and meaning that like is not implicitly cis and white and straight and like you know mm-hmm. cis and white and straight people might find ways to connect with it but like it but it's not you know doesn't center that yeah story. yeah i i find when you find your particular tribe you know as it were the world really opens up for you if I were to walk into like like a white queer space, um, I'd be comfortable there. I'd be welcome there. But when I walked into like yellow punk, I was like, "Holy shit, these are my people!" You know, and you mm-hmm. could, and you didn't have to explain yourself or you know sit down and have this. Hi, I am X. I'm Y, and then have to spend thirty minutes explaining why. I do relate to what you're saying though about like. The, the kind of thought in the back of your head, like if you're getting an opportunity related to some marginalized identity, it's like, am I exploiting this? Not even like right. the affirmative action thing, but like, am I one of those people who's like an opportunist or is like exploiting this identity or making it part of like, quote unquote, a brand? I don't know. I, I, I always get like a little just like queasy about the notion of like mixing my identity with branding and that whole like capitalist idea which is just also so hard to just separate from being an artist who's doing your thing and needs to support yourself um but then on the other end of it i think there's uh kind of that energy you were talking about like there's there's something just that's tastes different about subcultures um like whatever subculture it is that isn't in most uh things we consider mainstream like i think that's one of the other lies we've been taught about making it as an artist like if you make it in quote unquote the mainstream that's like the top tier but it's like no i think sometimes spaces that are more identity specific or more subculturally specific they have Mm -hmm. like more energy more interest people actually want to be there and also they're not always like sometimes they just have better some they might be just as funded because people are really showing up for them um I think like we have a warped idea of what's supposed to be mainstream, but like most of this country isn't white people, for instance. So that we have a sense of mainstream that isn't what people need. So where can people like connect with you, follow you, anything you wanna? It's Amina Shreep Ali all the way down. 
Yeah, uh, com and on Twitter and on Instagram. Okay. And yeah, I think you know, I'm just like thinking about, yeah, brown, branding is so weird. Marketing is so yeah. weird. And, so gross. and like a big thing that I like got free of when I like broke, when I decided, when I, around the time that I decided to like go back to school and like, like when you're hustling with some idea of like making it in this very like normative mainstream mm-hmm. way, like that that is say inherently like whites isn't straight it just so warps the way you fucking relate to people it's like every person on your like friend list are you someone who could come to my show or buy my record are you like or donate to my like indigo like you know like and whether it's Mm -hmm. like an old friend or like or someone you know who who you just met and it's like it's so gross and I'm, i'm like and i like and it turns you especially on virtual things into like this like this broadcast station mm-hmm. you know like it's just like i'm i'm just like broadcasting out to you and you're i'm expect i'm hoping or expecting you to passively receive everything i'm putting mm-hmm. out there and i'm anyway i like uh why did i start ranting about that that, that <laughs> deserves, oh, a rant. deserves a rant yeah yeah i've just like i feel that i've just really tried to like move to like on all the ways that like i show up online i'm just like you know i'm just gonna I'm going to be weird and gross and messy and like, and like juvenile and like, yeah. And just like really try to not like dress this up, you know, and occasionally Mm -hmm. I like slipping out, you know, cause I'll be like, I do want to let you know about my record. I do want to let you know, but like, but yeah, just like trying to not lose like the humanity of like, look, I'm like, I'm a person here and you're people and Maybe you'd be interested in this, and so I'm trying to let you know. But like, yeah. also, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think like also personally, whenever I've tried to do whatever version of like very cleaned up professional marketing, I'm not very good at it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I maybe that works for some people, but me trying to do mm-hmm. that does. I think I think for a lot of people, just being yourself and having opinions and tastes and doing things for fun is going to be better, quote unquote, marketing than. Mm-hmm. trying to be whatever like steve at the marketing department said you should do hi i'm here with my 100 business cards that have my perfectly boring ass logo and everything on it just to hand out to everyone you know and that's fine that's opposed- fine if it's you like if, if that's someone how someone is like i'm sure they're gonna be good at it it's just not all of us are gonna be that person <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway and but people can follow you there and that's how, the best way they can um figure out yeah. how to get your album when it drops yeah totally cool. i actually earlier this week i actually literally accidentally deleted my whole email list that i had, <laughs> had oh <going>. shit <laughs> <laughs> like, like i was i was i have been using the service mailchimp and like it wasn't all that it was like it was like a hundred some odd names so it was and honestly i don't remember what my stats were but it's not like i was getting like engagement out the wazoo from the emails i would send like twice a year so it was like no great loss i'm like I'm sure that the people who are really into me will like find me again, but it was, it, it felt like a actually kind of like a, like a accidental recommitment to like, yeah, we are really not approaching this as like a capitalist enterprise. Like, Cause Aww, yeah. <laughs> there go all my like leads or yeah. whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. And then I deleted MailChimp altogether and I'm going back to just like, I'm going to email you from my email. Cool. Maybe you'll see it. Radical. Radical. Wow. 
<laughs> Sweet. Well, so go follow her. Yeah. Buy her album. Yes. And you can follow us uh, mm-hmm. at the Queer Arabs on um, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and um, thequeerarabs.com. And you can email us at thequeerarabs at gmail.com. Yeah. Nice. You that was a lot in. more smooth than that. it <laughs> happens with me usually. Something that before before I transitioned, I didn't have the Amina, but I still, you know, Sharif Ali is like my mm-hmm. given name. So I just like added that and, you know, because I, I like wanted to keep, I, I like my given name. I wanted to keep it, but just like, you know, move it around a little. But cool. I was in like an online little like turf war with the other Sharif Ali. Well, one of the other Sharif Ali. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh my God. There, Who's the other one? There's, there's a, there's a poet, Sharif Ali in New York. Um, okay. And yeah, and so like you know, I had I had the website. He got the Facebook and the MySpace. I got the Twitter, the WordPress. Um, <laughs> like you know, oh like God. we were like, we were, like oh, scrabbling no. and like um, and then I yeah, but um, actually, I mean, but yeah, I've since like I've seeded my my claim. When you when you transitioned, that, did you like send you know? him an email like it's yours, go for it? <laughs> No, I didn't. You know, I like, you know, that that probably would have been good etiquette, you know? Like we don't we don't need to be fighting. This is yeah. a time to but it's kind of fun to keep oh. it going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also I Loki, I didn't give up the URL. I still oh, okay. have a direct Okay. Yeah. Those are a pain in the butt to transfer anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's smart. But cool. if he emails me and is like, Can I get that URL? I, I won't say no. If you Refile you from New York if you want to listen to the Queer Arabs podcast. Yeah, if you do. Yeah. Maybe he does. Maybe we should get you both on the same <laughs> podcast to like <laughs> talk about oh my God. sharing. <laughs> yeah. I, I I honestly I know nothing about him. I don't know if his poetry is let's, good. Let's go know. find out yeah. after this. <laughs> okay. I flew from LA to Tucson where there's less palms sand and a girl who it's been too long slip it in the palm of your hand it took us two years sweet thing just to even find the place during the intro and outro you heard clips of amina sharif ali and the radical folksonomy's album the once and future boyfriend